Thanks for joining the Capital Church podcast channel. For more resources and to learn more about Capital Church, please visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at capitalchurch.co. Uh, hey, if you turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians 6, I'm going to read through this really quick. We're in our Thoughts and Things series. We're going to be in it for probably the next four years, um, but actually we will be probably, we'll go through this all the way up through Easter, and so this is our third message in the series. Uh, two weeks ago, we talked about how God um, changes our thoughts, and then last week we talked about spiritual warfare, truth and lies. How many of you were here Last week, okay? Many of you were here last week. Uh, So today, I'm going to be talking about your feels, okay? Feelings. I just had to do it, all right? This is karaoke. You didn't know it, but this is karaoke Sunday, right? I don't know who sings that song, but it's a song in Vegas, right? Which I've never seen. Um, But we're going to be talking about your feelings, and we're going to talk about how God changes and transforms uh, our feels, and I'm just working from the assumption that everyone in this room, right, has some feelings going on, okay? So we'll be addressing that. We're going to talk about how uh, Hasatan or this spirit, these spiritual beings and this hidden invisible realm that we talked about last week can come and lie to us about the truth, can come and lie to us about our feels. So we're going to begin in verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 6. And Paul writes, finally... Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the what? The whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes, right? We talked about one scheme that this cosmic hierarchy of spiritual beings work against us, and that's through lying, right? Last week, we talked about the devil's not going to wake you up in the morning, right? Tomorrow morning, knock on your door and say, hi, I'm Ha-Satan. I'm coming to tempt you, right? Or to torment you. Uh, These spiritual forces will come to you through lies and deceit. So, Paul says, you got to put on the whole armor of God that you may may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, right? We don't wrestle against the Republicans or the Democrats, right? We don't, the, the ultimate problem in the universe is not Russia. The ultimate problem in the universe is not the Illuminati. It's not Jay-Z. It's not rap music. Come on, somebody. I'm preaching to somebody here. Maybe one of you in here. Uh, it's, not, it's not white supremacy. It's not racism. It's not institutions. It's not out there that we wrestle against. We wrestle against, and Paul makes it very clear how we should think about our world, the cosmos. We wrestle against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Verse 13, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand what? To stand firm. So how do you stand firm? How do you, how do you maintain your strength in King Jesus? How many of you want to know that? Paul says in verse 14, stand therefore, because you already had the victory in King Jesus. Through his death and through his resurrection, the powers have been defeated. Their power has been exhausted. Jesus is now king of all of life. Can I get an amen? Jesus is king over the White House, your house, and the crack house, right? Okay? 
Just, I'm using everything this morning to get your attention. So stand therefore, because Jesus is the king of all of life, not just some of it, having fastened on the belt of truth. Truth is important. It's important that you negotiate the world with truth. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, in other translations it says, above all, uh, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit. How many believe in the word of God? Okay, how many of you believe that the word of God can change you? All right, a few of you. Uh, how many of you believe in prayer? How many believe that you can't do anything without the Holy Spirit? So Paul says, praying at all times, in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keeping alert with all perseverance and making supplication for all the saints. Verse 19, and also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. And everyone said, amen. I don't know if you know that, but we have in the house this morning uh, several people. And I think my sister or my wife mentioned it, but I just want to honor uh, my beautiful sister who's come all the way from South Orange County. And uh, Rochelle, we all know Pastor Rochelle. We love her. And uh, we're so glad that you made it here uh, today. You made it back to God's country, right? And all the people said amen. Can you give it up for my sister? So good to have you here. And uh, I'm a little bit dizzy right now, but we got a few um, Hollywood people in the house. Um, there was a private screening last night. Um, and uh, Bob Grove, um, Bob Grove, Bob Grove. It was a private screening, just for context, at uh, Edwards Theater, and Bob played a major role in this kind of 19th century period piece, and he just killed it. He, I think he needs to be cast in more westerns, and so, Mr. Grove, we love you. And then Stefan also was a lead actor, and he just as one of my favorite characters. And then Mel, I don't know if Mel's here. I just go down the line. There's a lot of people in that. Am I missing anybody? It was a great movie. And so we love you guys so much. How many of you believe that God wants to use our gifts to shape the world? Amen. All right. Um, go ahead and bow your heads as we pray. Father, we thank you for uh, being with us today. We love you. Uh, we bless you. Lord, we just thank you for being with us today. Holy Spirit, say what you want to say. Do what you want to do in Jesus' name. Lord, I... I thank you that you give me strength this morning to share what you put on my heart just in the next few uh, moments. In your name we pray. Everyone said amen. Amen. Here's a, a totally legitimate question. How many of you have had feelings that r ran away from you? Right? And what, what are we talking about? Like feelings, let's say anxiety or uh, greed or whatever, some sensation that overwhelmed you, and you knew in the moment you didn't have, here at, at this church, we don't believe in willpower. We believe in grace. Uh, we believe in the spiritual practices. Um, but I'm sure many of us 
have had emo- uh, emotions, corrosive emotions, that have um, taking, uh, t- taken us maybe out of God's truth. I'm sure that's uh, many of our experiences. For example, um, last, last fall, I took my daughter to uh, Disneyland. It was a daddy-daughter kind of Disneyland uh, date. We had a really good time. And uh, so I decided to take my daughter to uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. It's a new ride. Uh, they play tons of 70s rock music, right? All the 70s babies said amen to that. You grew up in the, okay. Um, so it's funny, if you've never been on the ride, it's a long ride. It, they, you know, they got a lot of, they kind of show you what the ride's all about. They, they put you in a room, and uh, the little raccoon comes up. I don't even know his name, right? And he starts talking to you. Rocket, right? Rocket starts speaking uh, to you. And it's like totally lifelike, and you totally feel like you're in, in the moment. And uh, my daughter was right next to me, and as Rocket came up, she started squeezing my hand. And uh, so, and we were, we were probably in a group of about 30, 35 people. It was a little bit dark. And it was funny. Something happened to me. Um, I started thinking about a lot of different thoughts. And this sensation came over my body as if I was going to die. And maybe if you've been on a roller coaster before and you thought before getting on the roller coaster that you were going to die, right? So I had no, some of you are like, no, never have had that problem, Chris. Um, so I get, on, I get on this ride, no joke, and um, this is the thought that passed through my mind. It was only a, you know, a second. We, we think automatically. We think all the time. And so sometimes we don't even think about what, what we're thinking about. And so this thought, kind of this image came uh, running through my mind, and it was about, it was kind of like, and again, it was rooted in fear, uh, that there was a, possibly an engineer that was really tired and um, didn't, I'm not joking. Can you not judge me this morning? I just feel like there's a lot of judgment this morning. Like, some of you are looking at me like, I've never experienced fear before. There's only one person that has never experienced fear, and that's Marshall, and he's a genetic freak, right? We're still trying to figure out if he's human or an alien. We're not quite sure. Um, but I remember this thought, this engineer, uh, you know, kind of cutting it short, not doing his um, engineering responsibility, and I just, it was like a flash. I saw my daughter and I falling like 10 stories to our doom. And so we're, we're getting buckled in, and I'm starting to get claustrophobic, and Mike Lee's been on this ride before, and he doesn't do well either. My daughter had the time of her life, right? She got done with this ride, and uh, at the end, she goes like, Dad, can we do it again? I'm like, baby, I got to go to the bathroom and let weakness come out of my body, right? <laughs> Whatever that means, I don't know. Let's just go with it. So we've all been, I'm sure we've experienced in different aspects of our life, feelings that um, uh, get out of control, right? Misshapen feelings, feelings that um, twist uh, our life out of shape. For example, this week I went to the dentist. How many like going to the dentist? Trick question, no, you don't like going to the dentist. So I went to the dentist and, um, and I'm talking to the hygienist and I'm sitting there. I just had bad experiences with dentists. I think what they should do, they should actually just knock you out before they do anything, right? Literally make you unconscious. Can I get an amen to that? But they don't do that. Thank you for the hand clap. You guys are awake. Amen. Um, so, but they didn't do that to me. I'm just getting my, just routine teeth clean. And uh, halfway through this, this teeth clean, um, my hygienist noticed that something was wrong with me. I was really tense. So she asked me the question, are you doing okay? You seem a little bit stressed. And I'm like, yeah, I just feel a little stressed right now, right? <laughs> Isn't it funny how they talk to you and you just, it, 
you don't know if you're supposed to talk back or not, but you feel rude. So then you just, you just, you just go with it, right? So I'm sitting there and I'm talking like, uh, I feel really nervous. I told her that. I feel really, this is good stuff, guys, this morning. Thank you, Rochelle. She's laughing at all my jokes, right? So I'm sitting there talking. I'm like, I'm really nervous. My heart rate is up. And she told me, hey, you don't have to, you don't have to worry. You know, we've, I've done this so many times. You're okay. The problem is um, I had a bad experience when a hygienist actually didn't numb my teeth and went to, like, clean. And it was the worst experience in my life. And so I was thinking through that, right? So in these moments, please don't pass judgment on me, but in these moments... When it comes to uh, just reality itself, my problem is not with the truth, right? We survived at the Guardians of the Galaxy. I made it through with the dentist, right? problem that I have and the problem that we have when it comes to reality is really not the truth necessarily or reasonable facts. Our problem in life usually comes with our feelings. I don't want to talk about feelings and what they are. Uh, too many times, let's be honest with ourselves this morning. Did I say that too loud? Let's be honest that feelings for many followers of Jesus, if they're not careful, can hijack their joy, can sabotage or frustrate the purpose of God for their life. So what are we going to do with our feelings, Right? Once you, and this happens to everybody, once you come to accept Jesus as the king of the world, right? And when you really start to believe, everyone say believe. When you really start to believe that the kingdom of God overflows with generosity. When you as a follower of Jesus, when you really start to believe that the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus is how God is making this world brand new. When you start to believe that, you start to reject or jettison self-help talk and techniques to become the better version of yourself, and you really start to get, get serious with God and serious with his grace, guess what's going to happen? There will come a moment, we've all experienced this, maybe in a week or maybe in three weeks or whatever, when your emotions, have you ever experienced this, will rise up or flare up attacking belief about who God is, belief in his radical goodness or in his radical commitment for your good, you'll begin to question your feels. Everyone say the feels. The feels will flare up, and they will start accusing or shaming. Um, they can be destructive, and they can work in contradistinction with who you are in King Jesus. Have you ever had a moment like on a Sunday where God has spoken to you? Please tell me you've had this experience. Or like in a worship moment, you feel the presence of Jesus, right? And you're, you're lifting your hands in the air, and you just feel like there's, no, there's not a care in the world, Right? You sung all is well, and you feel the grace of God, and you feel like God is making you right. And then you step foot outside, right, the church, or maybe you wake up Monday morning, or maybe come Thursday, you hit a rough patch. You maybe you get bad news, news in the words of C.S. Lewis, or maybe you, uh, you go through trouble, or maybe you experience difficulty in the week, 
or maybe even on a more toxic level, become pleased, in the words of C.S. Lewis, with yourself, which is his definition of pride. Uh, You start thinking about it. You're tempted with unjust business practices. You're tempted to lie to your spouse. You think about how people in your place of work aren't treating you the way they should treat you, so you start wallowing in self-pity. It's amazing how our feelings can flare up, right? They can rise up. In the words of C.S. Lewis, this is called the rebellion of your moods. So what do we do with that, right? We all have feelings. So what are those feelings? Before we answer the question of what, what we do with feelings, or more precisely, how God transforms our feels, what do we do with feelings, or excuse me, what are feelings? Well, everyone in this room, I hate to break it to you, you feel. Can I get an Amen. Feelings are sensations, they're emotions, Uh, and I'm borrowing this from uh, Dallas Willard. There's a wide range of of sensations that we experience in life. You can feel warmth. You can feel hunger today for a double cheeseburger, right? Uh, You can feel an itch. Have you ever had a sunburn, a really bad sunburn on vacation, and it starts to itch, and you got to go to the ER. It's the worst experience that you could ever, anyways, I've just kind of, that's me, my experience, right? You can experience that. You can experience, and again, there's a, there's a wide range of uh, sensations that we can experience. You can experience dizziness and thirst and sleeplessness and lethargy. You can experience weariness, desire, pain and pleasure, loneliness, anger, jealousy, beauty, compassion, delight. If you have trouble or difficulty sleeping, just put on Bob Ross and your head will tingle and you'll go right to sleep. That's been my experience, right? I think we just need Jesus and Bob Ross. I'm kidding. Okay. So we feel. Yesterday, I felt as if creation was blazing with beauty and glory. Right? Jesus, we know very clearly, was moved by compassion when he saw the crowds. Jesus felt deeply. He felt sorrow. He felt the pain of the world. He felt God's presence in his life. We know the Good Samaritan saw a man on the side of the road, and it says, the text story reads, he saw and then he felt compassion, and it was his his feelings that moved him into action. Feelings are powerful, would you agree? Feelings, we act as if we don't have feelings, but we do. Feelings are powerful, they're large, they're big, Feelings were designed, or we were created to feel, and our feelings are designed to move us. So feelings are neither bad, right, or good. Feelings were designed by God to get us into action. Feelings, in other words, and this is just kind of an anthropological, like, take on who we are. Feelings are the sine qua non, or the essential characteristic of being human, In fact, I just want to make the argument before I talk about toxic feelings that you cannot be the kind of person Jesus wants you to be without right feelings. So when we talk about feelings here today, I'm not going to offer this like you got to repress, suppress, not feel anything if you want to follow Jesus. That's a neo-stoic, pantheistic idea. We reject that. God has given you feelings for a reason. So much so, there are many people in our world that would rather feel destructive feelings than not feel at all. Feeling 
selflessness, that's not even a word, but I'm going to make it up, is a condition to be dreaded, right? You're built to feel and to be moved. But here's the problem, right? Let me say this. I I think we all would agree uh, that we want to feel good, right? But the problem with feeling good in our contemporary Western life is that we have taken feeling good as our primary principle, right? So, hey, hey, check this out. I, 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 was, I thought about doing like a 30-minute excursion on the history of feelings, but I spared you, okay? So I'm going to just oversimplify this today, and it's just simple. We no longer, as a Western materialist, secular society, care about being good. We only care about feeling good. So, and this is like a low-grade romantic idea. It goes all the way back to the 19th century. I did it. I'm doing a little history on you. It goes back to 20th century existentialism, maybe all the way back in the words of N.T. Wright, all the way back to Gnosticism we find in the second century. And it's this idea that the way you find happiness in your life is through your feelings. The problem when you elevate feelings behind that, you're elevating the self. And so you're relocating authority from church, what the church says, or what God says, or what the Bible says, or what institutions say, and you're relocating that in the self. Ultimate authority for many Americans is found in simply being true to their self. Shakespeare put in the words of one of his characters, I can't remember his name, be true to thine self and you will not be false to anyone else. The problem is that I have found, maybe you haven't found this to be true, but if I'm true to myself, it's going to lead me to a lot of problems. In fact, Jesus says, The heart, what defiles us, is not out there, right? It's inside. Jeremiah chapter 17 says the heart is what? uh, Deceptively or destructively wicked. Paul's analysis that we quoted a couple weeks ago in Romans chapter 1 tells us that the thinking in the heart of every human person is twisted and out of shape. So... We run into a problem. If we live by the maximum of, okay, I just got, the, the way that I get into happiness, I got I to gotta feel happy. And by feeling happy, I, I don't care what, if, if it's good or not, um, as long as I feel happy, whether it's lusting over someone or if it's lying or if it's releasing anger, as long as I feel good, it's okay. The problem, and I take this from several scholars, if my desire to... Um, punch Joel King in the nose right now in the moment because for whatever reason I felt it felt good right or I I had I looked in the future and I just like yeah this is gonna feel really good like punching him in the face right I'm sure he's wanted to do that to me several times anyways I love how many of you love Joel King I love Joel King come on give it up to Joel King the problem with living by your desire and living by your feelings is that um, yourself is not an innocent, pure, like, self-thing entity. So if my desire to punch Joel King in the nose, simply because I, it, I assumed that it would make me feel good, 
doesn't that impair or downplay his desire of not wanting to be punched in the nose? So he has feelings too, and I have feelings. The problem is, if you live by feelings, feelings just crash together and society crumbles. It leads to moral, moral anarchy, and I don't want to get into that. So we don't live by how we feel, right? If I lived by how I felt this morning, I probably want to be here. Guys, I'm raising 32 kids, and I'm just so stinking tired. Right? We don't live by how we feel, right? There are days, please don't place judgment on me, I don't want to pray, right? Most days I do, but there are days I just don't want to pray. I don't want to read my Bible. I want to, I want to eat Poison Lucky Charms and watch ESPN all day, right? Because temporarily, eating Poison Lucky Charms will make you feel good, I promise, right? Temporarily. If we just did what we felt like doing, can you see it? Leads us down the road because we don't work from a place of innocence. We work from a place, as Jesus and Paul and Jeremiah told us, from a place of deception. Our hearts need not therapy. They need conversion. So, in the words of Dallas Willard, um, feelings can be good servants. They can teach you something about you, about the world, and they are important, but they are disastrous masters. In fact, Martin Luther, I, I usually quote him uh, once, once a month, Martin Luther said, feelings come and feelings go and feelings can be deceiving, but one thing I'm going to do is not live by them, I'm going to live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Martin Luther would come up with the phrase, baptiza too soon. Right? He would say it often because he struggled with melancholy. Some scholars think that he struggled with bipolar, a really heavy depressive bipolar condition. And he would say this, baptiza, baptiza to sum, I am baptized, as a way of reminding him that he's not living by his feelings, he's living by the truth of God. So feelings can become destructive, what, what, what I'm seeing today, and I'm sure what you're seeing today, is that many people are building their, their identity around disordered feels, right? We've normalized, hey, it's just anger, it's just lust, it's just worry, it's bitterness. And there are many people that just assume, right? Just assume that, hey, this is what it means to be human. It just means to be afraid. It means to lust. It means maybe sometimes overcome lust or sometimes overcome greed or sometimes overcome bitterness, loneliness, but that's just what it is, right? We just got to have to try to make it. And the reason why people live that way is because they just assume that our feelings are uncontrollable. So, what are feelings? You guys still with me this morning? What are feelings? Many people assume that feelings are um, non-thinking things, right? They think they're arbitrary. They think they're kind of random, right? You just you got hit with a sensation, got hit with a feel, and we just assume it just, it just happens to us. Like many people just assume that like trying to control your feelings, which I actually agree with this, is like trying to herd a bunch of squirrels. Have you ever tried doing that, right? The idea is just, it's just it's chaotic. And so it's a bad strategy to try to manage your feelings. I agree with that. But many people, again, think that feelings are just arbitrary things that happen to us. 
But what we find to be true, and I can't get into Scripture fully today. We'll talk more about this over the next few weeks. We find about, what we find to be true about feelings is that feelings always accompany how you think. There are a few exceptions. Like, I don't even know this, but I'm a type 1 diabetic, and when I'm high, a physical condition can affect a mood in me. But mutatis mutandis, so respecting all the differences, yes, sometimes we feel a certain way because of a physical condition. But most of us feel a certain way because we think a certain way. So I'm going to say this really, and please, you could disagree with me, and you're wrong, but let me just say this. You don't have a feeling problem today. You don't have a feeling disorder. Maybe you're really struggling with lust or anger or, or let's say even pride um, or a feeling that accompanies pride or whatever, and anxiety or whatever. Those are really important things. I don't mean to downplay how you feel about that, but you don't have a feeling problem first or a feeling disorder first. You have a thinking one, right? It's ideas and images that float through your mind that shape how you feel. In fact, our emotional makeup is inseparable from our BS, our belief systems. Gotcha. I just love that, guys. I just love that. Some of you thought I was actually cussing in church, right? Our emotional makeup, that's my one dad joke of today. Our emotional makeup is inseparable from how we believe and what we think about. In fact, Proverbs 14.30 says, A sound mind makes for a robust body, but runaway emotions corrode the bones. So a sound mind leads to life, and an unsound mind leads to death. Here's the thing. If you're going to be thinking about Taco Bell all day long, which sometimes is an amazing experience. And you think about images that come, images, Taco Bell images, and images are a very concrete um, set or series of information. And you think about Taco Bell long enough throughout the day, you're going to have a feeling of wanting Taco Bell. And because feelings are so powerful, feelings will lead you or at least get you to the point where you find yourself eating eight soft tacos at Taco Bell. How you think, here, please hear me, how you think, and we do this automatically. Many of us, we don't think about what we're thinking about, but what we're thinking all the time. What we think about, our symbolic universe, is what shapes or gives shape to how we feel. Can I get an amen to that? Dallas Willard said this, we first turn away from God in our thoughts. So it is that in our thoughts that the first movements towards the renovation of the heart occurs. Transformation and deformation, the opposite of transformation. Good feelings, bad feelings, starts in our thought world. So the ultimate goal of spiritual formation, how many of you want to be spiritually formed into the love and the joy and the peace and the goodness reflecting God's love and wisdom over your life, over your marriage, over your kids, over your place of work, come on, over your neighborhood, over the city. How many of you want that? Being spiritually formed into the image of God requires, in the words of Dallas Willard, taking 
or replacing destructive information, images, and thoughts, and replacing it with images that reflect Jesus or images that are Jesus-centered. This is why, and I have nothing against watching TV. Actually, if you're watching six hours of TV a day, I just don't think you're going to make it. That was a joke. If you intend to follow Jesus, yeah, watch a good show, right? Watch Queen Victoria. That's a great show. Watch a little bit of Netflix. But if you are serious about being an image bearer that reflects God's radical goodness back to the world, you have to be serious about opening your heart and your mind and your habits and your embodied life to truth, to God's word. That means we got to be formed, as we talked about last week, by our spiritual practices. Amen? So, um, Chris, how do we do this, right? How do we, or how do we allow God to transform um, our thinking? I'm just going to give you, can I just give you just a blueprint of how God changes us? I just got a few minutes and I'm almost done. Number one, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. I think this is probably the most important thing. If we don't get this, I think we're going to be frustrated when it comes to our feels. We must begin by seeing the world as Jesus and Paul does. I mean, this is important. We think we do, but I, I've, I've been in the ministry long enough where I realize, uh, I won't say most, a lot of Christians don't see the world like Jesus sees it. It's our fundamental problem. Which means that we cannot see the world, I get this from uh, Mark Sayers, he's a pastor in Melbourne, we cannot see the world through Western secular eyes. What does that mean, Chris? Well, it's pretty simple. Um, the ultimate goal, your ultimate ends, the ends of our life are not about making money, right? As a follower of Jesus, if you make money, that's great, but that's not your ultimate goal. Your ultimate goal is not accumulating stuff, right? It's not about being famous. If you get famous, it's great, right? You make a lot of money, that's great. Tied to the church. Anyways, let's move on. Your ultimate goal is not just to be like a nice person who pays your taxes. Not about building your image. That's seeing the world through a Western secular eye. Your goal is to be made in the image of God. To be formed by his faith, by his love, by his peace, and by his joy. But the biggest problem when you see the world through secular eyes, you just work from an assumption that we're living in peacetime. Right? Because today, I love, I love the sunshine. How many of you love the sunshine? Right? You love springtime. I love the spring. Right? I can't wait to go out and we might do a little picnic, might hang out with the kids. That's great. Uh, the problem, though, is that many times we project, like, peacetime onto our life before God and what Paul sees and what Jesus sees is that life is engulfed in, in cosmic warfare. So there is Hasatan, a Hasatan. There are spiritual beings that will lie to you about your identity, 
They'll lie to you about your story. They will resist your strengths. They will try to twist your strengths. They will give you half-truths. We talked about this last week. They will, they will go after through lies and deceit after your spouse, after your marriage, after your kids, after your neighbors, after even people in this church. They will try to twist your mind through lies. We don't live in peacetime. We live in the age of the church and the spirit. And we know one day God will make a new heavens and a new earth. And God will wipe away every tear, and he will eradicate evil from this world. But we're living in a time where these defeated powers will do whatever they can to frustrate God's plan. Chris, does this mean that I can't take a vacation, we can't go to Disneyland, we can't have fun, like a fun, restful time? No, that's not what we're saying. It's just simply beginning with the assumption, okay, this week I'm going to believe certain things. I need to expect those things to be challenged. And I could be okay with that. So we need to see the world as Jesus and Paul does. Number two, number two, this is really simple. We have to, if we want God to transform our feels. Are you ready for this? We have to stop trying to feel good. Don't worry about your feelings. Right? Give feelings up. Why? Because if you start to think well, your feelings will follow. Many people, and here's I think the problem of, of our generation, if you're 40 and younger, and this could be a problem for everyone in this room. I'm just generalizing here. But there are many people that want, want the feelings of peacefulness without, in the words of Dallas Willard, without the condition of peace. So we chase after a feeling, right? This is, as, as, as many scholars will say, that addiction is actually a feeling phenomenon. We're addicted to things because we're chasing after a feeling, we're chasing after a feeling of peacefulness, right? We, we can't live without feelings. The problem is, is that we live by feelings. They turn very destructive and turn our lives upside down. So many of us, again, we chase after a feeling. I would just advocate stop trying to feel good and start feeding your mind with God's truth. This is really good this morning. Start feeding your mind with God's truth. I don't know if you've ever experienced this before, and this is why we believe in daily opening our lives to Jesus through reading scripture, through worship, through prayer. I think some of us, I think I'm really a believer in fasting, getting away, not watching TV sometimes, not being an Oakland Raider fan because that totally destroys your faith, right? Okay. I really believe in that because... In those spiritual practices, you're opening your life up to Jesus. But here's the thing. Spiritual practices are designed to remind you of what you already believe. Because this is my experience. Are you still with me? I'm almost done. Please don't tune me out, right? My experience is that, like, I'll come and listen to something, and then within an hour or two, that truth has faded out of my mind. Or I might even have an encounter with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is, like, speaking to me, and he's changing my whole, like, thinking. And then the next morning, it's like that didn't, I've, I have a feeling as if that didn't even happen. 
right? And I remember as a young man, I would try to chase the feeling that I had with God rather than chasing God. And I realized that I got it wrong, that I need to chase God. Open my heart to his truth. I got to feed my mind, right? I got to continually remind myself of what I believe. And this is why Paul says in verse 16, above all else, put on faith. What's faith? Faith is pretty simple. It's looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. Hebrews chapter 11, Paul tells us, or the, Hebrew, or the author of Hebrews tells us that faith is what? It's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen, right? Uh, the author continues, I think in verse 6, that if you want to please God, you must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Hebrews chapter 12, as I mentioned, you got to look unto Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of your faith. So what is faith here? Faith is feeding your mind with the truth. It's a confidence in God's goodness. We believe that when we walk by faith, that will trump our feels, right? Because faith is always directed away from yourself. Faith is always taking, when you put it on in the morning, you stop thinking about yourself and you start thinking about who God is. Right, And you begin to grow. The more you think about who God is and the more you allow the Holy Spirit to, to, to change you as you commit your life to reading Scripture and worship and prayer, God then begins to grow your faith. And we live not by our feels. We live by faith. So let's stop. Try to feel good. Let's start by feeding our minds with the truth, and your feelings will follow. Number three, this might sound a little counterintuitive. I'm just a believer in this. This is not original to me, but I think it's absolutely essential. If you want God to change your feels, you have to be committed to being part of God's family. you got to be committed to being in church. I think Sundays are important, right? I think being a part of a small group is important. Don't shout me down. Amen. Being with other people is important. I, this is a problem. We are hypermobile. We have technology, and I love technology. We got podcasts. We got a lot of great stuff out there. Take advantage of it. But there's just something that happens when you're with God's family that changes your feels. Here's the, here's the most important thing. If you want to learn how to rejoice, there are some days you can't do that. You need to learn that by getting close to other people who are rejoicing. In fact, uh, John Mark Comer, he said this, just simply by being in the church or a part of a community is the starting point for transformation. Starting point. He goes on, and I love this, no one ever robbed, he says this, no one ever robbed a bank in the presence of their parents or their pastor. So being a part of a church, right, is the beginning point for transformation. And that transformation is connected to this built-in accountability. Like, there's just something that happens when we're with other people wherein we want to be who God wants us to be. Can I get an amen? In the church, as I close, in the church, you get what you can't get anywhere else, and that is people 
can speak the truth over your lives. Some of you heard me say, when you come to church, people will place judgment on you, and we condemn that. Amen? Truth is not condemnation. Some of you need the truth. And what's the truth? Well, God loves you. You're going through a difficult time. You need someone outside of yourself to come to you in your dark moment who can encourage you with God's truth. And this is how we grow when people, other people, not yourself, but other people come and they speak God's truth, God's word over your life. You grow through that. Amen. And finally, number five, there's a lot more points, but I'm just going to end here. Actually, I got two more points and then I'm done. Actually, I got five more points and I'm done. You got to redirect your focus. Redirect your focus. Jeremiah chapter one, we close. Verse four, now the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, oh, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I'm only a youth. But the Lord said to me, do not say I'm only a youth, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. So what's happening in this conversation? Like, what's really going on? God comes to Jeremiah. He's a young man. He says, I'm going to call. I'm going to give you my words, and I'm going to send you to the nations. His first objection in this conversation that he has with God is to turn away from God and to look at his deficiencies. So he starts to look at this one big inadequacy. I'm too young. God, come on. Do you know how young I am? What I love about this is that God's response to Jeremiah's objection is not a rationale or an explanation of why he's right or wrong. God doesn't even deal with it. God simply says, do not say that you're young. God acknowledges it. I think it's important that we acknowledge how we feel. Can I get an amen? God says, but don't acknowledge that you're young, right? But go and say what I've put in your mouth. So what is God doing to Jeremiah? He's simply redirecting his focus. Isn't it funny how we complicate our lives by focusing on things that God hasn't even talked to us about? We're like, well, what about this God? But God's saying, that's like irrelevant. Don't even, why, why are you sweating about that? You just focus on me and that's not gonna be an issue anymore. There's so many times in my life as a parent with my children that I can't answer and give an explanation for every objection that they have right, regarding what I want them to do. I've gotten to the point where I'm just going to be silent and I'm just going to teach them and train them how to focus on me and my word. This is the secret to overcoming uh, emotions and feelings that run away from us. It's learning to focus on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And everyone said amen. And so we close. Don't be discouraged this week. How many of you want to make a commitment this week to allow the Holy Spirit to change how you feel? Okay. We're all in it, right? Okay, so as we close, I just want to tell you, don't be discouraged. I have found in my personal life that um, I really don't know how out of shape I am until I try to get into shape. Have you ever had that experience? This last week, Wednesday, I thought I was in really good shape. I uh, hung out with Marshall. Marshall's my trainer and with some other guys. And man, I thought I was feeling good and then he took us through just a series of just 
it, it was hell. And in that moment, because of resistance, I realized how out of shape I was. It's funny, the more you follow Jesus, the more you'll realize, oh man, I thought I had more faith. See, here's the thing, C.S. Lewis said this, bad people don't know they're bad because they always give in to their badness. So he, he, he riffs on that and he says, bad people are sheltered, right? Well, what are you talking about, Chris? Well, here's the thing. Um, uh, in the words of C.S. Lewis, you, you only know the strength of the wind until you stand up against it, right? In other words, no one knows how bad they are until they really try hard to be good. So this is what's going to happen. It's not to defeat anybody because there's all, everyone say grace. God has grace. No one in this room is perfect. But as you allow the Holy Spirit to work in your heart, what's going to happen is through that resistance, there's going to be things that are going to come up in your life. And you're going to see some ugly things. Don't be discouraged. God has designed resistance as you follow him to bring you to the end of yourself. And guess what? That's the starting point for transformation. When you come to the end of yourself, when you fail, you try to manage your feelings, you try to think the right way, you will fail, but let failure teach you that you can't do it in your own strength. Only God can. And when you realize that, that it's only His grace, right, not your strength, that is the starting point for God and the transformation that He has for you.